Accrediting Excellence, the international authority for professional coaching and mentoring, proudly presents both sides of the coin. Do you or any of your clients have a creative brain? Those of us with a creative brain have our own way of doing things. When we're in full flow, we can be intuitive, instinctive, quick and brilliant. But on the flip side, sometimes the simplest of things just seem to overwhelm us and can be debilitating. Today, we get some top tips on how to coach creative brains. Welcome to Both Sides of the Coin, a podcast produced by the IAPC and M. We're a leading accreditation body and our aim is to increase public confidence and to raise industry standards by enforcing a rigorous accreditation process that ensures the quality of professional coaches and mentors. The podcast is aptly named Both Sides of the Coin because we've talked to both a coach or mentor and one of their clients to explore both sides of the coaching mentoring intervention, what works and what doesn't. As the proverb says, iron sharpens iron. Before we get started, let me introduce myself. I'm Jenny Butter, your host and an accredited master coach, and I've been coaching for 10 years, mainly in the area of career, transition and life coaching. Joining me today are Julia Caddick and her client, Rebecca Duckworth. Julia is an accredited coach and specialises in coaching creative brains. A creative herself, Julia has earned a living composing, conducting, arranging music, writing for BBC Radio, as well as training professional singers. Whether creativity is exercised in music, science, tech, business or the arts, as Julia knows from personal experience, those who have creative brains sometimes face particular challenges. And her client Rebecca is a professional musician, choir trainer and vocal coach, and also a near empty Lester. And she's working with Julia to gain a vision for her future. Welcome both of you. I'm going to start with Julia and then flip over the coin and speak to Rebecca. Julia, tell me about yourself. Um, Okay, so uh, most of my working life, I've been working in the arts, which is a great privilege and a great joy to do something that suits your own gifts um, so, so well. And so most of that has been music connected, but I also worked for many years in children's theatre in London. Um, and uh, my recent years, I've been training singers one-to-one as, as the main bread and butter. Um, and then for the last few years, I found myself, I guess for the last five years, I'd the back of my mind, I've been thinking that it would be uh, wonderful to work with the bits of my clients that's not just about what was going on in their voice. And when you're working one-to-one, and Rebecca will attest to this, I'm sure, as, as it will have experienced it, when you're working one-to-one with someone um, on their voice, it's very personal. And so often you um, get insights into other parts of their lives because people, when they're sharing about their voice, they share about their lives as well. And for some years I'd been thinking it would be wonderful to go off and um expand my coaching from just coaching the voice and the person as the performer uh, to actually widening that out and so during uh, the pan the first lockdown and uh, the, the pandemic i started um, making putting plans down to train as a as a life coach um, and that's what I did. And I've been tra- developing, I am currently still developing my practice 
um, uh, coaching what I call people with creative brains. And that doesn't, and I put it that way because we tend to think of creatives as being the person who writes a novel or the person who paints a picture. And actually, um, creative brains can be people, the scientist whose brain works in a particularly creative way, or that the, in Cambridge, there's a lot of people who work in tech, app developers, who have incredibly creative brains in the way. And so it's more about how people think than what they produce. When we start with a client, how do we know if they fit into that creative brain category? So when um, when people uh, contact me, the first thing I do is I will have um, a, 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 a phone call with them. And I'm sure you do this in your practice probably too, a discovery phone call. And that's kind of a no obligation chance for them to talk to me about what their issues are. And then in that conversation, we're exploring a little bit. They're trying to explore what I what it is that I do. And I'm working out what it is that they're looking for. And in the way we interact, you you get a picture as to whether this person is, and this is a two-way thing, isn't it? They're getting pictures as to whether this person can, can work with them. And I'm getting a sense as to whether they are, as it were, my tribe. Um, because you know, not everybody is going to be the ideal uh, coach or the ideal client. And I think we find each other quite well, actually. So what type of particular challenges do people with creative brains face? Haha, <laughs> Rebecca, take note. You're going you're gonna to recognise so much of this. So do you know, I, it, it's a very interesting thing because creative people are usually have areas of expertise that they're absolutely brilliant at absolutely brilliant and they're so good at it they don't know the good how good they are and they can um you know that they can, that things that they can do standing on their head in their sleep and they wouldn't even think about it. and other people in in the general in general society would go oh my goodness fancy being able to do that but the very creative person can hardly see the strength in it because it's it comes so intuitively to creative people, but then they'll be very mundane other things in life that will completely overwhelm us. And I'm going to put an us there because I am one of those creative people. And I think partly it, it's worth knowing how creative brains think because um in in the way brains work there's um neuroscientists talk about convergent and divergent thinkers so a convergent thinker is um a person who thinks in a very very logically in a straight line and a divergent think thinking is when we think like this and ideally in life we we we, we want to be really using a mixture of both kinds of thinking. But creative brains are very predominantly divergent thinkers. And being a divergent thinker has wonderful, wonderful assets to it because you can see out of the box and you you think you 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 grab things as it were almost from the ether, your the way your brain works. But there's a there's a there is a challenge with it. And that is that because creative people with creative brains um 
can go in so many directions at once. That works great for a certain amount of time and then things become overwhelming because there's too many strands going on at a time. So typically cre creative people will have not just one novel going on, they'll have a novel and a plan for this and a plan for that and an idea about a series of workshops that they could run and, uh, and things like this. And all of that is absolutely brilliant. But then in the background, you've got life going on. You've got the, you've got the argument with the energy company. You've got the um, some issue going on with, I don't know, a utility company, let's say. And, and, and it's, it'll be those things that overwhelm. It'll be the combination of all this wonderful, wonderful creative stuff that you want to do. And then suddenly you hit a brick wall because you can't ring, bring yourself to ring that utility company or you can't, there's that, there's that thing, that silly mundane thing that will stop you in your tracks and suddenly you can feel completely overwhelmed and you feel like I can't, I, I just don't know where to start. So when somebody is in a session and they go, I've hit the brick wall, I'm overwhelmed, or actually, do they not realize it? Do you have to point it out to them? Take me through that process first, whether they realize overwhelm or whether you have to point it out. And then we can talk about actually how you then coach them through that. It, it, um, it, that's a really good question. Um, it very much varies from person to person, I think. And I think that creative people are very get very aware in life of when things are overwhelming because there's a kind of a feeling that comes with it and um it's almost it can be like a feeling of not coping for some people a feeling of um it's difficult to describe it's it can for some people it can be a feeling of um i just want to step off life for a second and just observe and for some people, um, it can it can almost hit as procrastination. And um, I think it it's very very different from person to person. So um, what I will ask is um, I'll 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 ask people to talk about um, what's been going on and what the blocks the perceived blocks are. So what tools do you give people in your coaching to help them be able to overcome that overwhelm themselves at the end of the coaching sessions with you? Mm -hmm. So this scale of overwhelm, isn't there? There's overwhelm that's I've got a lot of things on my plate. And then there's a different kind of overwhelm, which is much bigger which can leave people needing to step back out of some major projects for months on end. So I can't give you one answer to that. There isn't one answer because it very much depends on the nature of that overwhelm, just how big a scale we're talking about. Um, but what I would say for your small scale, shall we say, overwhelm, when there's just an awful lot of stuff on the plate, um, I would um, get my, so I, I'm a big fan for myself of uh, tick, box tick box lists and multicolored stationery. And what I would do is I would break, uh, write down the areas that are at play 
So it might be this particular project has a certain number of things that need to be addressed. And sort of, so, so having different colors for each project, because you've got to realize the creatives, particularly artistic creatives, have so many pies on the go at the same time. Um, and you break down, so you break down so that you've got one action step to do. You keep, set the bar low. And this is very different, I think, for um, the way creative brains work than other brains. I know an awful lot of coaching is, is talking about setting bars high. With creative overwhelm, you set that bar low. You set that bar low so that it's something you can jump over. So it may be that you, you have your on your list for the day, you'll have make a phone call to this company that would for me on that when i'm facing overwhelm making the phone call to the utility company would be massive absolutely massive it would have such a barrier to do then you'd put post a letter that's a simple one you want low barrier stuff that you can tick off so that you can get out of this feeling that you cannot do anything so you want your lists little list of very easily achievable tick tick things because the the big thing that other people think is the is the overwhelm block is the creative project that's not the massive creative project is the bit that brings joy that's the bit that actually the, the creative brain is wanting to get onto but there's all these hurdles in the way that seem massive and so I would say, set yourself a to-do list with some simple things that you can tick off because you want to start the day with things that have been ticked off. Then once you've, and, and if there's, a, there's one particular mundane, irritating thing that is terrifying you, like the phone call to the utility thing, do that at 8.30 in the morning, get it out the way so that your creative heart can do what it wants to do. Julia, what top tips have you got for us as coaches that we can um, then use with our clients who have creative brains? There's something about procrastination. So a lot of people who have got creative brains will talk about procrastinating, but I, I feel it's rarely as straightforward as simple procrastination because it's, it's usually... Um, to do with organisational challenges, and that's to do with the so many strands going on that we talked about earlier, or overwhelm. And, and because again, this thing we said about divergent brains that people can't think straight. People will sometimes say, "I can't think straight," and it's because there's so much going on. So I think when when we as coaches we tend to jump and go label that's procrastination. And I just want to say to you, to your coaches that um, ask the question, is it actually procrastination or is it something that's actually organisational overwhelm and that actually is, is a simple, that, that, that creative brains need some, some tactics about organisation. Thank you so much, Julia. Some really great top tips for us there as coaches when we work with people with creative brains. I'm going to flip over the coin now and speak to Rebecca, your client, and hear from her perspective how coaching has helped her. Rebecca, tell me about yourself. Yeah, hi, Jenny. Um, well, I I know I did say that I'm an empty nester, but reflecting on it, I realise it's, it's in address only because I've got two daughters, so 
regardless of the fact that one no longer lives at home, there is still heavy involvement with her. So um, yes, I am nodding a lot along to what Julie is saying about the overwhelm and about the simple things early. I totally concur because yes, I'm a musician, freelance musician. I'm one of those people who hears a tune and can just play it both hands on the piano. Blah, 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 blah. I think nothing of it, but I've been able to do it all my life. And I forget what a boon that is and what a wow that is to others. And, but I've also been somebody who has felt overwhelmed because I have all sorts of family burdens. I've, my father died last year um, in his nineties, 200 miles away. And I've got a stepmother to look after who's got quite bad dementia now. Um, I also inherited a previous stepfather who also had dementia. So um, I know what it's like to, to struggle to feel any sense of oneself. I feel like I quite lost my original who I am along the way. And I've tried hard to keep little strands of it going. What took you to the position to decide I need coaching to help me in this particular season of my life? It is my lack of concreteness. So when Julie was talking about strands and clutching things out of the ether, I, my, my actual work life was strands. You know, I, I am a one-to-one -one singing teacher. I do train choirs all in different places. I'm also training to be a counsellor and I've just nearly finished that counselling training. But I'm also um, involved musically um, in voluntary capacities as well. So I'm trying to think to myself, who really am I? What is the nub of Rebecca that I would like to pursue age 57 onwards? I could flail around with different strands and not quite feel connected to any of them. So I'm looking from the, to, 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 for the concrete and I knew I needed help because I thought I was almost feeling overwhelmed with the thought that my next tranche of life might never happen. <laughs> I knew I could end up in strand, strand, strand and feel that I'd never really fully delivered myself while I was alive, a bit esoteric maybe, but that's how I felt. And so I thought, I, I had heard that Julia had become a coach and I contacted her. And so what has been your coaching experience from when you started to where you are at present? Well, we have results, results, results. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. And, and the reason I was nodding along is because those, those results have come from those small things. So, I have a very small private practice. Most of my teaching is out of the home, but I have a very small private practice. And when I've been sitting there playing the piano, accompanying people, I just had these ideas of getting them all together for a little informal presentation with lovely afternoon tea, get the elderly relatives in, etc., etc. But to actually make that happen amidst everything else that's swirling around in my life, whether that's phone calls with social workers for my stepmother or helping my daughters. The very fact that we had homework of book the village hall, which I happen to live next door to, to get the venue. So I, I, I didn't feel really connected to that. I just knew it was an action, concrete action step. I took it, I booked it. I then thought, okay, next concrete step, tell the pupils, invite them not knowing how they'd receive it. They are totally excited. I have an elderly, an elderly widower 
who's shedding a tear about coming to sing something. And a 12-year-old child who's extremely excited about it. So this whole vision is now actually about to happen in 10 days' time. That's so, so wonderful and so exciting. Really well done, Rebecca. I'm really pleased about that. What's the one thing that you keep remembering every day from your coaching with Julia? Um, well, the truth is I'm still working towards thinking every day. I can't say I've yet achieved the place where my thinking has become every day. It hasn't. But over the last few months, something is growing. Maybe I've got a neural pathway growing that wasn't there before about plans and thinking and thinking about what's true to myself in in amidst the fog. So to keep this trail, if I can, this thread of being true to myself in it all. Um, which I was, I'd lost and could have remained lost for for the rest of time. Um, so probably more 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 times per week I'm thinking about it than I was before, and I'm discovering. I call it the magic of these small concrete steps. That eight thirty phone call or email. That's super. And Rebecca, this is a coaching podcast for coaches to learn best practice. From your experience of Julia, what Mm. do you think is important for other coaches to know? I think the listening is key. The listening before telling. And I mean, this isn't a mnemonic I've talked with Julia about, but there's this LAIR, L-A-I-R, listen, acknowledge, interpret, respond. And it's the A part, the acknowledge that I feel lands. Julia does acknowledge me and what I'm saying. She doesn't jump from L to I or L to R, L to listen to respond. She she acknowledges and interprets back. So I feel heard and understood. And that creates inner space for me to then move forward rather than being saying, no, but, but, but it's actually more like this. I, I feel a spaciousness, which I deeply appreciate. What great feedback for us, Rebecca, and what a great discussion and top tips. Thank you so much, Julia and Rebecca. And if you would like to work with Julia, then she can be contacted at juliacaddick.co.uk. We're confident that anyone who attains an international authority for professional coaching and mentoring accreditation will be amongst the very best that the profession has to offer. So if you're someone who's interested in having some coaching and mentoring and want to find an accredited coach, mentor or training provider, or if you're a professional who's interested in becoming accredited, then please go to our website, coach-accreditation.services. And finally, if there's a topic that you would like me to cover on future episodes of Both Sides of the Coin, then I would love to hear from you. My email, jenny.podcast at coach-accreditation.services. Bye for now.